Warning, this episode contains content that may not be suitable for some listeners, involving graphic depictions of violence, including dismemberment and execution-style shootings of both adults and children. Listener discretion is strongly advised. He was unassuming, withdrawn, quiet. If you looked at him and talked to him, you'd think he was a a law-abiding citizen. He was interested in the community. He was uh, a moral person. That's what he was on the face of it. Child abuse. They would sacrifice animals. Does it make you want to hate murder, or does it make you want to do murder? Let's explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. Welcome back to Rogue Darkness, the podcast that uncovers how the misinterpretations and misinformation surrounding witchcraft, the occult, and other beliefs have led many to do unthinkable crimes. From ritualistic killings and the demons that live in all of us, to exploration of the macabre and delving deep into the unknown, let's explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. I'm your host of the Grim and Gruesome, Raven. I hope you all are doing well. I know my voice isn't 100% back to normal, but hopefully it's a little bit manageable. So now, let's go rogue and get right into today's chilling crime the case of Herbert Mullen, and how his overwhelming fear of a doomsday-level earthquake hitting California, mixed with the notion that performing human sacrifices, would save him from such a dreadful event, and how it was all brought on by unrelentless voices in his head, leading him to committing several horrific murders. But let's start off from the very beginning. Herbert William Mullen was born on April 18, 1947, in Salinas, California, to Martin William Mullen, his father, and Jean Mullen, his mother. His father, who went by Bill, short for his middle name, was reportedly a World War II veteran, and his mother, Jean, was known for being a devout Catholic. Both parents were said to have been strict, but not abusive with their children. Growing up, Herbert was well-liked and had several friends. Along with being friendly and personable, Herbert did fairly well all throughout school, and he had even been voted most likely to succeed by his fellow classmates. Shortly after he had graduated from San Lorenzo Valley High School, in June of 1965, Herbert was met with a devastating tragedy. One of his best friends, Dean Richardson, had been unfortunately killed in a car crash, causing Herbert to become immensely distraught. It was reported that Herbert had built a shrine in honor of Dean in his bedroom after the car accident occurred. Being overly consumed with grief, not having a healthy way of expressing his emotions at the time, and ultimately obsessing over the concepts of reincarnation, religion, and impending natural disasters, the tragic death of Dean would unfortunately be the initial trigger that began Herbert's odd and eventually murderous actions. Heavy drugs and alcohol soon became a big part of his life, a self-healing and coping attempt to try and take his mind off of the tragic death. Herbert's deteriorating mental state was only worsened when he began taking in huge doses of LSD. This, mixed with his already shaky emotional and mental state, led to some frightening behavior and his family quickly admitted him to a psychiatric hospital in 1969, when Herbert was just 21 years old. There, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and would continue to be institutionalized for scary behavior throughout some time, before and even during his murder spree. 
Herbert was admitted to various psychiatric institutions, but ended up discharging himself after only a short stay. He was reported to make outlandish actions and reactions of given stimuli, such as extinguishing cigarettes out on his own skin, at one time attempting to enter the priesthood, and he even ended up getting evicted from an apartment he was living in after he repeatedly pounded on the floor, shouting at people who were not there, the voices only he could hear. After much back and forth from institution to institution, with not much progress being made in improving his mental state and not being able to live on his own, Herbert ended up moving back in with his parents in 1972 when he was 25 years old. At this time, the voices in his head were unrelenting, filling him with immense dread and reportedly telling him that an earthquake was imminent and that he could save California from such doom if he performed human sacrifices. Herbert's birthday, April 18th, was ironically the anniversary date of the massive 1906 San Francisco earthquake, a catastrophic earthquake that ended up resulting in approximately 3,000 people dead and over 80% of the city of San Francisco being destroyed. Herbert personally thought that the earthquake falling on the same day as his birthday was very significant and was ultimately why he felt he was the one chosen to have to do something to prevent the next catastrophic earthquake from hitting and possibly completely demolishing all of California. Being raised hearing stories of his father's time at war likely also had an impact on Herbert's impressionable mindset, leading him to have immense feelings that the bloodshed from the wars, most specifically the Vietnam War, was a sort of natural blood sacrifice to the land, aiding in preventing earthquakes. Herbert reportedly believed that the Vietnam War had produced such a large number of American deaths that it would prevent earthquakes from attacking the U.S., as mentioned, a form of blood sacrifice to nature. But when the war began to wind down in late 1972, he became consumed with the thought that he would need to start killing people in order to have enough bloodshed to keep the deadly earthquakes at bay. This is when the bloody rampage began. On October 13, 1972, Herbert decided he would make his first sacrifice to the earth. The first victim was a 55-year-old homeless man named Lawrence White, nicknamed Whitey. Herbert saw Whitey on the side of the road trying to hitchhike and pulled over asking him to take a look at his car engine. When Whitey was distracted looking under the car hood, Herbert came up behind him and began mercilessly beating him across the head with a baseball bat, ultimately beating him to death. Later down the road after he was ultimately caught and interrogated, Herbert reportedly claimed that Whitey was actually the character Jonah from the Bible, and that he had communicated with Herbert telepathically, telling him, Pick me up and throw me over the boat. Kill me so that others will be saved. Whitey's body was found the following day on October 14, 1972, but with not much evidence to go off of, and the lack of advancements in forensics at the time, Herbert got away with murder. A short time after the sacrifice of Lawrence Whitey White, Herbert committed his second murder. The second victim was a young 24-year-old student from Cabrillo College named Mary Gofoyle. Mary was reportedly running late for an interview and decided to hitchhike as a means to make it to the interview on time. Herbert was unfortunately her ride. After getting into his car, Herbert locked the doors, and then he aggressively began to stab her through the chest and back. While she lay there bleeding out, Herbert then began to dissect her body and even scattered her remains alongside the road. He then left the grim scene, knowing he wouldn't be caught yet. On November 2nd, just a few weeks after the murders took place, Herbert decided to confess his sins to a priest at the St. Mary's Church in Los Gatos. 
While in the confessional, Herbert was heavily delusional and believed that the priest he was confessing to, Father Henry Tomei, who was a French resistance veteran from Marseille, who came to America after the war, wanted to voluntarily be his next sacrifice. Herbert proceeded to beat, kick, and brutally stab Father Tomei, who ultimately bled to death inside of the confessional. Without knowing there was another parishioner within the church that saw him flee from the confessional, Herbert believed he would once again get away with his crime. The parishioner who witnessed Herbert running out of the church unfortunately did not get a good look at his face, and when they went to the police and gave their statement, they provided a very vague description of what they thought Herbert looked like, a tall young man in dark clothing and black boots, which obviously did not help the police in their investigation. Still being a free man, after his sacrifice of Father Tomei, Herbert decided to join the U.S. Marines, and despite his evident psychological issues, he managed to pass both the physical and psychiatric tests to enter the Marines. After looking into his background, however, Herbert was denied entry into the Marines when they uncovered that he had a number of minor arrests for his negative behavior and actions in the past. This rejection only fueled his paranoid delusions of conspiracies that others were out to get him. Now, it wasn't just the earthquakes that were after him. In January of 1973, Herbert had now purchased and accumulated several guns and decided that his next victim would be one of his friends from back in high school, Jim Gainera, who had previously sold him marijuana. To his surprise, though, when Herbert went to Jim's house on January 25, 1973, he discovered that Jim had actually moved. Herbert talked with a new homeowner, a woman named Kathy Francis, and she ended up giving him Jim's new address, not knowing what Herbert had planned to do when he confronted Jim. When Herbert arrived at Jim's house, he welcomed him in unsuspectingly, and then within a matter of moments, Herbert proceeded to kill both Jim and his wife, Joan, by shooting them in the head, and then he began stabbing their bodies repeatedly. After the brutal massacre, Herbert then decided to go back to Kathy Francis's house, and he proceeded to shoot and kill her, along with her two young sons, Damon and David, who were in the home at the time. Her sons were only nine and four years old. Kathy Francis's husband, who was away at the time of the murders, was a known drug dealer, so the murders of his wife, sons, and even Jims and Joan Gainera were thought to actually be motivated by drug trafficking, and that was the route that the authorities took at the time of investigating the crimes. About a month after those murders, on February 6, 1973, Herbert was out walking around the Henry Cowell Redwood State Park when he saw four teenage boys camping in the park. He walked over to their campsite claiming he was a park ranger and abruptly ordered them to leave because they were polluting the forest. When the boys refused to leave, Herbert told them he would be back the following day. The boys were armed with a .22 rifle and weren't afraid of Herbert's demands, and they ultimately didn't take him seriously. Herbert did return, though, and when he did, he shot them all, killing them, and then he abandoned their bodies within the park where they wouldn't be found until the following week. The boys' bodies were later identified as David Olliker, Robert Spector, Brian Card, and Mark Drebellis. The final murder that ended Herbert's horrific murdering spree took place on February 13, 1973. Herbert was driving alone in his car when he drove past the home of Fred Perez, who was outside weeding his lawn. Sporadically deeming Fred would be his next sacrifice, without hesitation, Herbert made a quick U-turn parked his car near the home, and then laid his rifle across the hood of his car to take aim. He then proceeded to shoot Fred, instantly killing him. Herbert then quickly got back into his car and calmly drove off. 
Since this murder occurred in broad daylight, and there had been a number of people within the neighborhood who actually witnessed the shooting, they notified the authorities and one of the witnesses was even able to provide them with Herbert's license plate number. When authorities pulled Herbert over, they were shocked that he was so calm and even claimed he was docile when taking him in for questioning. While in custody, Herbert quickly confessed to all of the murders and told the authorities that he had been commanded by the voices in his head to kill people in order to prevent a catastrophic earthquake from demolishing California. He believed wholeheartedly that the reason no earthquakes had taken place during the time of the murders was in fact due to his sacrifices to the earth. The Santa Cruz County District Attorney's Office charged Herbert with a total of 10 murders, and his trial began on July 30, 1973. On August 19, 1973, the verdict of Herbert's trial was delivered. Herbert was found guilty of first-degree murder in the cases of Jim Guianera and Kathy Francis because they were premeditated, while for the other eight murders he was found guilty of second-degree murder because they were more impulsive based on his mental state at the time of the crimes. The Santa Cruz County District Attorney's Office later charged him for the murder of Father Henry Tomei as well. On December 11, 1973, he pleaded guilty to a second-degree murder after originally pleading not guilty by reason of insanity to first-degree murder. Herbert William Mullen was ultimately sentenced to life imprisonment in the Santa Cruz County trial and was eligible for parole in 2021, which he has since been denied 11 times. He continues to live out his life sentence, incarcerated at the Mule Creek State Prison in California. So that was the disturbing case of Herbert Mullen and how his obsessive thoughts and outlandish views of an apocalyptic-style earthquake consuming all of California led to him committing a slew of horrific murders. Let me know your thoughts on this case, and if you have any questions regarding it, feel free to contact me at roguedarknesspod at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me directly on Instagram or Twitter at rogue underscore darkness, or visit my website www.roguedarkness.com. As always, be sure to share the podcast with anyone you think who would like it, and also be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Podchaser, Good Pods, or wherever else you can leave a review to let other listeners know you enjoy the show. If you want some personalized shoutouts and other exclusives, definitely give my Patreon a look by visiting patreon.com slash roguedarkness. You can also check out my bonfire shop if you want to get your hands on some awesome merch. And as always, all the links for everything mentioned are down in the description box of every episode. And again, I do apologize for my voice not being completely 100% back, and it's still kind of in that limbo state, so I do apologize. Hopefully it's not too bad. But with that said, that concludes this week's episode of Rogue Darkness. The darkness is all around us, and I can confidently say that reality truly is more terrifying than fiction. Until next time.